Man, if you would, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, reading verses 15 and 16. While while you're turning there, let me just mention very briefly that next week we'll have a guest preacher. I'll still be here, and he'll be taking us through a a chapter in the Psalms, and haven't quite decided if we'll return to the Psalms or if we'll go back to Ecclesiastes or do something else. So pray for me, but... See what the Lord decides. But today, Ephesians 5.15, talking about the stewardship of time. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. God, we pray and ask that you would take the brief time we have together and that you would cause it to bear fruit. Lord, especially for those who may not know you as their Savior, that you would cause your word this morning to bear fruit unto their lives, unto eternal life. Lord, we pray that you would take your word, help us to humbly receive it, and help us with zeal to apply it by your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A great evil has returned and it seeks an object through which it could conquer the world. And the burden of destroying this powerful object has fallen into the hands of the most unlikely hero, Frodo, Desirous of the Shire, desirous of living a peaceful and quiet and unadventurous life, says to Gandalf, I wish it need not have happened in my time. Gandalf says, so do I, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Indeed, nobody can choose the time in which they're born, but it is up to us to decide what we are to do with the time that is given us. Someone else probably said similar to words, similar words as Frodo in her time, biblical character, historical character. Esther found herself with a decision to make of whether or not to stay silent or to speak up and risk her life to potentially save her people. And Mordecai, sort of in a Gandalf-like way, says to her, who knows whether or not you have come to such a kingdom for such a time as this. Thankfully, most of us have never and may never come to crossroads like what Esther experienced. Nevertheless, as a Christian, you were born in a time over which you had no control over, As a Christian, you received the power of the gospel through faith in Jesus Christ, been born into the kingdom of God at a time at which you had no control over. 
And what is left to you, whether you are younger or older, no matter how long you've been living as a Christian, what is up to you is how to use the time that's been given to you. Ephesians calls us to make the most of the time or to redeem the time. And as Christians, we should want to use the time as profitably as we can and should to the glory of God. And so what does it look like to redeem the time? What, is it, what does this kind of life look like that aims to make the best use of the time? Are some of the questions that I hope to answer this morning. But before we get there, you have to know that not all people are able to make the best use of the time which brings me first to man's inability to redeem the time. Earlier in Ephesians, in chapter 5, verse 3, we have a description of a walk that is characterized by darkness. It tells us, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish chalk, no crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light." For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Earlier in Ephesians, it tells us to not walk as Gentiles, that is, as unbelieving Gentiles, in the futility of their mind, darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. But instead, we are called to walk in the light, because now we are fellow heirs. In other words, children, that is, children of God. We're called to walk differently because we are partakers of the promises of God, that they are ours, they belong to us, and that we are also members of the body of Jesus Christ. So therefore, we must walk differently. In Ephesians very clearly shows this contrast between light and darkness. They're easily distinguishable. And Ephesians 5.3, in those passages that I just read, tells us the walk of darkness. That those who walk in darkness, it consists of sexual immorality. That is, fornication. According to 1 Corinthians, these are sins against the body. And they're heinous for a number of reasons, but primarily they are heinous because... The body for the Christian is considered to be a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Impurity also characterizes the walk of darkness. In the Old Testament, impurity meant more ceremonially. So if you had a particular disease or if you had touched a carcass or a corpse, you were considered unclean and therefore you were unfit to go before the presence of God for worship and you had to go through certain rituals to, in order to be cleansed. In the New Testament, this has taken more of a moral sense. 
So it speaks to those who are morally unfit to come before the presence of God. And the standard of measure that determines whether or not we are fit before the presence of God is God's holiness. And whether or not a person wears the holiness of Christ through faith in Christ. Another characteristic of this walk is covetousness or avarice, greed, which it says in the passage is a form of idolatry. This is anything that becomes the object of your greatest desires. Whatever it is that you desire most, it has, if, it has, if it's not the Lord, if the Lord is not the center of your heart and life, then whatever it is that you desire to become the center of your life, or whatever is that object that becomes the center of your life is a form of idolatry, worshiping a false god. And then we get from these, what might be considered more heinous sins, to these sins of speech. It says filthiness. And this also speaks to one's speech. This is shameful or disgraceful speech. It is a kind of speech without restraint. It is a kind of speech without a moral compass. It's about being honorable in your language. Right? There was a time and place where men might not swear in front of women. Right? So in that sense, there was a sort of a moral compass there that restrained one's speech. But now, right, anywhere you go, people cuss all the time, whether it's men, whether it's women, whether it's children, whether it's sweet old grandma. There's speech without any moral compass. There's foolish talk as well that characterizes this walk of darkness. It's like salt that has lost its flavor. It's good for nothing. It has no value. It is distasteful language. So think of it this way. If somehow, let's just pretend, somehow people could digest your words. If every word you spoke was able to be digested, How would they be digested by the other person? Would they be sweet? Would they be delightful? Would they be nutritious? Or would your words cause someone to gag? Or cause them to have a stomach ache? Or would they taste bitter? And then there's also crude joking or jesting. This is taking serious very serious matters, and making light of them. There are attempts to elicit laughs by crossing a line into impropriety. So it can be anything from foul language to sexual innuendos to rude or racist comments. So we have this piling on of sins and some that we would consider it's much more heinous or more horrible than others, all piled up together. And it tells us these sins or these things, it tells us in the passage, are the reasons why the wrath of God is coming. And it tells us that it's for these reasons that people do not inherit the kingdom of God. But what does this have to do with redeeming the time? Again, the passage says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. 
Not that the day itself is evil because God creates everything good and everything every day is good because God created good, but it's that the days themselves are filled up with evil. But if we want to look carefully how we walk, we want to walk in wisdom. And we make the best use of the time. Ephesians 5, verses 3 to 10 tells us the kind of walk that is not characterized by wisdom. This is a not looking carefully at how one walks in consideration of the impending judgment and wrath of God on account of sin. Now, according to the Scriptures, the unbeliever is unable to redeem the time because it is impossible for him to do so, and they do not want to. You see, God has a very different way of seeing efficiency and productivity, right? The world says we have to account for every single minute of every single day, of every hour. You want to use it profitably, efficiently, make the best use of the time in that way. What am I producing? What am I doing? But it has no eternal value. It's not going to get you anywhere closer to the kingdom of heaven. So the unbeliever cannot redeem the time as God would see fit, not until the dynamite of the gospel destroys man's sin and darkness and unbelief. It tells us in Ephesians 2 that we were once, before Christ, before believing Christ, were dead in trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, sons of disobedience, But then it says, but God, being rich in mercy, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Once dead, but now alive through faith in Jesus Christ and because of what Christ has done on the cross. And Colossians 1 also tells us that the power of the gospel, when it tells us that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So once dead, then made alive. Once belonged to the kingdom of darkness, but then transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. And only then can we walk as children of light. When we properly belong to the right kingdom, when we belong to the kingdom of God and have been made alive in Jesus Christ. Only then can we actually make the best use of the time in a way that it eternally matters. Only then can we steward our time in a way that honors God. The Gospels, some of you are familiar with the parable of the talents, where a man gives certain talents to three different servants, and he calls them to use those talents, and use them profitably. Like the talents that these men received, so each and every one of us, whether believer or not, each of us have been given the talent of time. And the question is, how will we use that profitably? How can we use the talent of time and turn it into a prophet, something that we can return to the Lord, that we can return to the Lord more than what we received. But the unbelieving, as long 
as they continue. Right? If you're here, if you're today, here today, you have not believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you're not believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it doesn't matter how efficient you are with your time. But it won't matter in the last day when you stand before the judgment of God. There's nothing you can present before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's no, nothing you can present to them. You can't even present to them the talent of your time. Instead, what you can only present to God is a debt. And somebody has to pay the debt. But it's not going to be God. But you'll have to pay the debt for all of eternity. But the power, the glory of the gospel is that Christ Jesus came into the world and died on the cross so that those who believe in him can have their debt paid. So they can be forgiven of their sins. So they can be declared innocent. So that they can be justified and receive eternal life. And only then can you use the time that you have in a way that is profitable to the glory of God. So as Christians, that's what we want to do. That's what we desire to do. And so how exactly do we do this? Which takes us secondly to the walk of the Christian. Ephesians talks a lot about walking in many other places in the Scriptures as well. It essentially just means the character of one's life. How do you live your life? And one of the things that we see that we can learn about walking in wisdom and making the best use of the time is that we are called to walk in the light. So if you want to walk wisely, walk in the light. Verse 7 of chapter 5, it says, Therefore not become partners with them, that is, the unbeliever in their sin. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. As I said earlier, Ephesians makes a pretty clear contrast between those who are in light and those who are in darkness, right? They're easily distinguishable. Just turn on a light in a dark room and you can immediately see the light. Light and darkness do not mix. It's one or the other. And so the same idea in our walking as Christians is walking wisely and walking in the light, that our lives should be easily distinguishable from the life of an unbeliever. That we bear fruit of the light, which is essentially the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, it tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The person who walks in the light isn't shy or isn't timid about the Christ-like character. They're not like the groundhogs who hide in my shed at home that immediately when you step outside, they immediately run for cover. No, but the Christian walks in the light 24 hours a day, seven days a week, isn't shy about it, doesn't try to hide it, doesn't run for cover. If you want to walk wisely, walk in the light. Also walk in love. Chapter 5 of Ephesians verse 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us. 
and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we're called to walk in love. This really, this, what this shows is an outward-oriented lifestyle where we not only love others in just our words, but also in our actions. Just what 1 John tells us to do. 1 John 3.18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. All right, so if you love others, how do you show it? Philippians also tells us to not look only to the, our own interests, but look to the interests of others. And immediately following that, it gives us the example of Jesus Christ, who certainly did not look just for his own interests, but looked to our interests as he came from heaven to the cross to die for the sins of his people. It's an outward-oriented lifestyle. This person is like a walking house of hospitality. That wherever they go and they meet people, they try to leave people a little bit better than they were before, even if it's just in a small way. The walk of a Christian consists of walking in love, walking in the light, and thirdly, walking in good works. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So two things that passage tells us, and we can spend an entire sermon just on this passage alone, but two things that God creates. God creates the new you through faith in Jesus Christ. God has recreated you through faith in Christ, and he creates the good works for you to walk in. Which also means, uh, it, this is kind of an aside, but it also means that if God prepares the good hand, the good works for us to walk in beforehand, we can also step aside and not walk in those good works, which would be wrong. I'll let you think more about that on your own. But the, what the gospel does is that the gospel gives us the proper shoes to walk in the good works that the Lord has given to us and prepared beforehand for us to walk in. But without the proper shoes, it's not possible. It'd be as foolish as trying to go hiking in sandals. Some of you here might have done that and probably regretted it. Some of us like to, do, to have to-do lists, Right? You like to, maybe the day before or even the morning before the day gets going, you like to have a to-do list. You know exactly what you need to do and what you need to accomplish for each day. Well, the New Testament is our to-do list. The New Testament tells us exactly what those good works are. It tells us what exactly we should be doing. We're called to walk in the light, walk in good works, and walk in love. Now, I want to bring us back to the passage in Ephesians 5, 15, and 16, and just take a closer look at it and apply it a little bit more personally. So, third and last, redeeming the time applied. 
pastor says, look carefully then how you walk. Keep a close eye, in other words. Keep a careful observation on your life, not on what you do only, but also in your heart. Look at your life with a magnifying glass. And in this way, you will do your part in walking in wisdom and making the best use of the time. But let's also keep a proper balance of things as well, according to the scriptures. Right? We continue to work, but God also continues to work in and through us. The reason why you are here today, the reason why you are here today and you can confidently affirm that you are a Christian and have been born again through the gospel of Jesus Christ is because Jesus has kept you. It's because Jesus continues to work in your life. It's because Jesus continues to give you the strength to persevere as a Christian. Jesus himself says that no one can snatch his people out of his hand, that his will is to do the will of the Father, and the will of the Father is that the Son not lose a single one of those that God has placed into his hands. And at the same time, we are also called to keep ourselves in the hands of Christ. In Jude, verse 20, it says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So keep yourselves. Keep yourself in the love of God. How do you do that? By building yourself up in your most holy faith and also by praying. Two things that you are required to do if you want to keep yourself in the love of God. Hebrews 2 says, Pay careful attention to what you have heard, lest you drift away. Like a boat that isn't anchored or roped to a dock. If you don't keep careful attention to what you have heard in the Scriptures, the danger is that you will gradually drift away. Indeed, almost never does it happen that somebody comes to apostasy or falling away or turn and completely reject the gospel overnight. What most oftentimes happens is that it happens gradually, over time, a little less prayer, a little less reading of the word, a little more sin. Small decisions today and even small tolerances of sin today can lead to disastrous consequences 10 years from now. C.S. Lewis wrote a fictional book, The Screwtape Letters, though I like to tell people that even in fiction there is truth. But he wrote this book, and it's about essentially two uh, letters between two demons, a senior demon and a lesser demon who's been given to this, part, this human being to try to entice him, tempt him, and his ultimate goal is to bring him to hell, to get him there. So it is these letters between a senior demon and imparting his knowledge and expertise upon this lesser demon. And in one of the letters, the senior demon writes, you will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters like yourself, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, that is God. It does not matter how small the sins are, 
provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. The road to hell is a gentle one. It's a slope. It's not just a diving off a cliff. Right, and if we are not careful, paying careful attention to our lives and the gospel that we have heard, without our even knowing, we might be on a gentle slope that descends downward. And 5, 10, 20 years from now, we might find ourselves in a place we don't want to be. The question is, some, some people are just very meticulous, meticulous about their home or about organization, about their day. Right? Are you meticulous over your life? Are you meticulous in carefully observing your life and considering your life and considering the gospel? Do you read the word of God and use it as a mirror? to show you what you are actually like? Do you ask yourself, when you read the Scriptures in your own personal time, and hopefully you do that regularly, but when you read the Scriptures, do you look to see if it, whether it's a New Testament letter, whether it is a, a narrative? Is there a sin that, is, that I read of here in this passage that is evident in my own life that I need to repent of? Do you come on Sunday mornings and do you listen to the word preached and do you often think to yourself, this has nothing to do with me or this doesn't apply to me? Do you pray regularly, confessing your sins to the Lord, praying for the forgiveness of your sins and praying for the strength to continue in repentance? Do you ever ask the Lord to show you your sins? So we must carefully observe our lives. We must do so with a calm urgency. The fact that it says making the best use of the time is intended to show us that that time is brief, that there's a sense of urgency in making sure that we are making the best use of the time by living it wisely because of the impending judgment and wrath of God. Some of you have probably have heard of this, but it's a, a system by which people make decisions it's called the Eisenhower Matrix. We have four different quadrants. In one quadrant, you have the important, urgent. These are things that you should do as soon as possible. There's the important, but not urgent. So it is important, but I can schedule it for another time. And another quadrant is not important, or not urgent, urgent but not important, which means that I can delegate it to somebody else because I don't necessarily have to do it. And then the last quadrant is not important, not urgent, which means I can just eliminate it. This doesn't have to get done. And applying that, let's take for a moment and apply that to our walk with the Lord, walking in wisdom, our personal holiness. How seriously do you take your personal holiness and walk with the Lord? Is it in the important, urgent? And this is, as a Christian, this is where we all should be. It is important. It is urgent. I want to be about it. I want to strive for it through faith in the Holy Spirit. 
or do you find it in the important, not urgent, yes, it's important to me, because the scriptures tell me it is, all sins are sins against God, but you continue to sort of schedule it for later. Uh, tomorrow's another day. Next week's another week. In other words, continue to sort of procrastinate your holiness and continue to schedule it for later. Or might it be in the urgent but not important? There's a sense of urgency, like I have to do this. I have to be about this. But do you sort of delegate it elsewhere? Do you sort of take your personal holiness and walk with the Lord as something that only the Spirit does? Well, the reason why I continue to struggle with these sins and continue in this way is because God has not worked in me. It's because I haven't woke up one morning and found these sins totally obliterated in my life. Or perhaps you might push it on to somebody else. Well, the reason why I am the way I am is because these friends are not really keeping me accountable or my pastor isn't really keeping me accountable. In other words, there's no bearing of personal responsibility. Or lastly, is it in the not urgent not important. And I have to be honest with you, that's where none of us, if you're, if you're a Christian, that's where you do not want to be. And if you are there, and you have been there for some time, I'm not saying this is the case, but I would, I would, I would wonder, have you actually been saved? If holiness and walking with the Lord doesn't matter all that much to you, and it hasn't mattered for a long time, Our aim should be in the top, right? Important, urgent, and I know that sometimes, right, it is impossible, we can't, and it's, it's just, we don't always fall in the right box, but are we making efforts to get there? But we do this, we can do this also with a sense of calm, which is only possible through Jesus Christ, remembering that Jesus is the one who keeps us. That his promises are for us. That his promises are there for us to pray and to trust. We can go about our walk with the Lord with a calm urgency. Knowing that Christ is also working in us, that the Spirit is also working in us as we are also working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And it also causes us to take our personal walk with the Lord with a serious joy. Now, if you, if you want to redeem the time, you not only do it by carefully observing your life and doing so with a calm urgency, but we must be about redeeming the time every day. God is not so much concerned with how you spend every minute of every day, but he's more concerned with how you will use the talent of time that he has given to you. How are you going to use it? Will it be honoring to him? Will you be able to return it to him one day but return it to him with more than what you originally received. While certainly it is, there's wisdom and not letting time go by wastefully. But as we learn from the passage, the way that we can make the best use of the time is by walking in wisdom, 
And the great thing about the scriptures is that not only does the Lord give us this talent of time to use, but also through the scriptures, he also shows us exactly how to use the talent of time and use it in a way that is profitable. This passage really applies to every sphere of life. So for those of you who work, know first and foremost that you have a heavenly master in the heavens. It is ultimately for his joy and pleasure that you work. He's not only your father, he's not only your good God and savior, but ultimately he's also your employer. And when you remember that your heavenly master is watching you in heaven and you strive to work diligently and faithfully for the pleasure of the good master, what you can withdraw from that is the patience that you need and require when working with others in the workplace. It gives you the strength to not retaliate when, say, people put unfair burdens on you or treat you differently than others. It helps you to stay calm under pressure. If you're retired or at home full-time, what does it look like to make the best use of the time? Well, first, you need to remember that your purpose is to live, first and foremost, for the glory of God and in service of others. That is where your purpose comes from. Another way you can make the best use of the time is encourage those who are younger, you who are older, encourage younger women. For those of you who are men, you can be a sage to those of us who are younger. Don't think that you don't have anything to offer or anything to put on the table. No, you have years of life and wisdom and experience and maturity you have a lot to teach those of us who are younger. There's a lot we can learn from. You can save us from making a lot of mistakes out of ignorance. By just taking a moment to have a cup of coffee and getting to know another person. I like cold brews, by the way. Somebody turned me on to cold brews weeks ago, and wow, life changer. If you are a mom at home, I know that oftentimes it seems like all you're having, all you can do is just survive. That you have nothing left in you but to just get through the day, get to bedtime, and then everything will be all right. Sometimes you sort of wonder, is this doing anything? Is this producing anything? All you're pouring out, your time, energy, mind, heart, your life into your home and into raising your children, sometimes it feels like a fruitless endeavor. In the parable of the talents, where the man rebuked the one servant who didn't return anything, he said, you could have just at least put the talent into a bank so that at least it could have gotten some interest. Sometimes all you can do 
as a parent or as a mom at home, it sort of just puts the money in the bank and just let it sit there and have some interest. And even then, it is still profitable. What you do day in and day out, it means something. Your pouring yourself out into the life of your children is a way that you are making the best use of your time. And not always do you see the immediate benefits or rewards of it, but the choices that you make today, Lord willing, 10 years from now, will produce wonderful fruit and results. So continue to strive in what you're doing. Continue to model for your children a Christ-like character. Pray fervently for your children that they might know the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have more time than most others with your children. Take time to teach your children about Christ. If you're a student or child at home, the way that you can make the best use of the time is obey your parents or those in authority over you. Be of service to your family. Help them when you can and should especially because they have and continue to sacrifice so much for you. If you're studying, consider your studies as a stewardship that God has given to you for His glory. And use your time also to maintain and have fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And for all of us, for us to make the best use of the time, we should strive to excel in building up the church. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, we should strive to maintain peace and strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, it tells us in the book of Hebrews. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says that he is a worker for the church's joy, and I think we can apply that to ourselves as well. Let us work for one another's joy. And Galatians 6 says that we should bear one another's burdens. That is a good way to make use the time that has been given to us. So how will you use the time that's been given to you? It's not a mystery to the Scriptures how we should be using that time. The Scriptures are pretty clear how we can use the time that has been given to us. And ultimately, it consists of loving God and loving others. So if we, try, if we strive to do those two things, we need not ever worry about not returning to the Lord, a prophet on the talent of time that he has given to us.